0: This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Uh, For those of you who who I have not met yet, I'm uh, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors here. And uh, been on staff since uh, 2007. Worked full-time here on the church for a while, uh, about six and a half years. Um, then went back to uh, the job that I had previously, um, and now I, I work uh, bivocationally. So when I'm, when I'm not off doing my other job, <clears throat> I get to, to come here and have some office hours and all that, and I, I typically do a lot of uh, biblical counseling and so forth. So that's, that's what I do around here. Uh, and I get to teach a class every once in a while, so that's nice. So, so glad to be here uh, this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we will launch right into things. Lord, thank you for your kindness and mercy toward us. Thank you for giving us this day, uh, a day, again, where we are free to come to the throne of grace, uh, to receive grace and mercy in time of need, to receive the wisdom from above that's pure and peaceable and open to reason, to receive uh, from our Heavenly Father a welcome. So thank you, uh, Lord, that we get to enjoy that again this morning. Pray that you would pour out your grace upon us, that you would that you would make us very aware of your nearness, that you would make us very aware of your favor toward us because of Christ, that you would make us very aware of uh, just how much you have done and, and are continuing to do for us as your beloved children. Use this class to that end, Lord. I pray for your for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to uh, this third installment of this Cornerstone U class, uh, Freed from Shame. Um, Hope you found it to be thought provoking thus far. Uh, Maybe a little bit surprising just how much the Bible speaks to the subject. And that perhaps you're beginning uh, to see new areas that the Lord speaks into our lives in and through his word um, and how intimately and specifically he cares about us. Uh, being freed from shame, <clears throat> I think, really begins with understanding very well what we mean by shame. So Jake talked about that a little bit in the, in the first class. Uh, and it's important. And so uh, if, if we don't understand what we're really discussing when we're talking about shame, it's more difficult to see how it is that God really deals with it. Each of us carries around with us ideas uh, of who we are, uh, ideas about our dignity, ideas about our worth. We make identity statements all the time based on the the jobs we do or other associations, you know, I am a pilot, I am a pastor, I am, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These, these are identity statements that, that instead, of, instead of saying or sharing, these are some of the activities that I do with my life, I'm communicating this is who I am. So we do that, we do that all the time without even really thinking about it. Uh, All kinds of associations uh, with with the things that happen in our lives become things that sort of sneak into our statements and our ideas about our identity. Um, And it it greatly affects us, Uh, even if we're not thinking about it uh, explicitly. It greatly affects us how we think of ourselves and how we how we view our identities. In modern psychological circles, uh, and I'm sure you've heard this, the idea of self-esteem is really the linchpin for mental well-being. Uh, it, it matters supremely what, that we think well of ourselves, uh, they say. Well, it, it really does matter. It really does matter how we view ourselves, and because it matters, the whole concept really leaves us very, very vulnerable because here's the problem. We're very, very prone to think wrong things. We're very, very prone to be thinking about things that really are not the things that God thinks about us. And that's where we want to dig into this and, and, uh, and pray that God will give us grace that we be uh, adjusted in this way. Uh, last week, Kent talked an awful lot about God's heart toward the weak and the vulnerable. He showed us that the Lord really has always demonstrated compassion and desire to rescue the weak uh, and that he would have our hearts be made like his. So uh, great emphasis last week on, on us being more aware of those around us who are weak and vulnerable, those around us who may be Suffering uh, from shame. This week, we're going to kind of turn sort of back in on ourselves a little bit. And we're going to move from how God thinks about um, his heart toward the weak and understand that that's us that he's talking about and how he ministers grace to us as the weak. We need to look at ourselves as ones who are in need of rescue. Uh, we were in need of rescue and still are in need of rescue and how the cross of Christ is the answer for both of those things. It rescued us and it is still rescuing us. And it points to a day when shame will forever be put away. So shame. Uh, One of the things that I think is, is, Really important about this class Is to raise our awareness about how shame differs from guilt Uh, I I think we tend to do a really really good job of Describing how the cross deals with guilt Um, We 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 need to grow I think in how we talk about the way that it deals with shame Um, because you know, quite frankly, in my, in my counseling, I regularly see the power of shame in the lives of, of people and the destructive ways that, that it affects relationships. To be made to feel worthless or different or stained in some way has this tremendous ability to divide us. From one another. And I'm here to tell you, I think that that is from the devil. <laughs> um, so I want to return to, to what, what Ed talks about a little bit with, with uh, the idea of shame being different from guilt. guilt. And, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll have a greater appreciation of this differentiation. I'd like to read to you again uh, from his book, um, uh, Dealing with Shame, Shame Interrupted. He writes, Shame and guilt are close companions, but not identical. Shame is the more common and broader of the two. In scripture, you will find shame, nakedness, dishonor, disgrace, defilement, about 10 times more often than you find guilt. Guilt lives in the courtroom where you stand alone before the judge. It says, You are responsible for wrongdoing and legally answerable. You are wrong. You have sinned. And the guilty person expects punishment and needs forgiveness. Shame lives in the community, though the community can feel like a courtroom. Shame says, you don't belong. You are unacceptable unclean and disgraced because you are wrong. You have sinned the guilt part or wrong has been done to you or you are associated with those who are disgraced or outcast. The shamed person feels worthless, expects rejection and needs cleansing, fellowship, Love and acceptance. Okay, do you see how that stands in stark contrast, that prescription there at the end, from what the devil has always been up to? From the very beginning of Scripture, we find him working to divide people. Adam and Eve were standing together before the tree in the garden, right? And what does Satan do? he addresses only one of them, enticing her to go in a new way away from what God had laid out for them. And on the heels of their disobedience, then comes shame. We see immediately after their fall, each of them doing what? They're beginning to hide, covering themselves and hiding from God. Shame immediately follows after their sin. Adam immediately blames her for his problems, separating himself from her and shaming her, and that's only the start. God rightly predicts in Genesis 3 what graceless relationship is subsequently going to look like. She will be pitted against him and he will attempt to subjugate her. Division, enmity, aloneness, difference between the two. But God was not content to leave things as they were in Genesis 3. He quickly reveals that while the enemy will always remain an enemy to the children of God, nevertheless, one day a remedy will come from the fall of man and will be found as one of their descendants. The Savior was promised and he would undo the divisions between one another and our estrangement from God. And that ultimately, as we know, is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's consider what the cross uh, really is about, what the Savior did on his cross. So first of all, I want to think about what actually happened to Jesus we need to talk about what happened to Jesus in the cross of him because there's more to his cross than just his death. Now, the death part is, is what we, we, I think, do a real good job of understanding. We understand that in the death of Jesus, you have the wrath of God being poured out upon him the estrangement from God because of the sin that he bore on himself and paying the penalty for that so that there would not be this penalty for sin any longer for those of us who are found in Christ. That's something that we talk about regularly. We regularly talk about this judicial, legal uh, aspect of our, of our guilt being paid for. But if you also look at what occurred to Jesus in the whole cross event, what you also see taking place is that he is being misunderstood, that he is being insulted, that he is betrayed, that he is denied, that he is mocked. He's spit on, he's cursed, abandoned, stripped, and then crucified. So in most of that list, what you find is you find him being shamed, don't you? In that list, you find Jesus identifying with us as he's being humiliated. And that's, that's kind of the essence of shame, isn't it? Kind of the essence of shame is I'm humiliated. I've done these things. I've had these things done to me. I'm associated with something in a way that humiliates me. So on the way to the cross, Jesus experienced humiliation. And in so doing, he's identifying with us. Do you, do you carry with you Humiliations, and I, when I read that list, where there are times that they said that that resonates with me. Have I have I faced betrayal? Have I have I been denied? Have I been made fun of? Have I been made to feel alone? Of course, we all do. It's it's part of part of our experience. So on the way to bearing the wrath of God, um, Jesus also bore humiliation, he also bore shame. It's it was the cross event was so much more than just a judicial matter. You know, so we have to think to ourselves why the humiliation? Why why must that have occurred? because um, it certainly was profound. You know, in our in our legal system we, we have all kinds of statutes against cruel and unusual punishments. Our, our legal system doesn't allow anymore for for criminals to be tarred and feathered or publicly locked up in stocks uh or branded uh any longer to be to be marked and to be made fun of um, maybe the closest we come is is uh having to pick up trash on the side of the road in an orange jumpsuit with dui on the back but but um but for the most part our judicial system is all about taking away liberties from us as punishments, not making examples of us. But Jesus, of course, didn't merely just face losing his liberties, uh, even his life for his alleged crimes. No, he, he was made to experience all of these indignities along the way. Um, Here's, here's the way Hebrews 13 speaks of what Jesus did. And this, is, this I think, is, is profound. Hebrews 13 says, So Jesus also suffered, and here's the important part, outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus suffered outside the gate. He was, he was cast out. He was excluded and he nailed that shame that he experienced to the cross as well as nailing our sin to the cross. Listen, listen to what Colossians 2 says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Okay, so there's the dealing with the guilt part. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. And hear this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the shamers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So you hear both guilt and shame being dealt with. with. The record of debt was canceled. Shame was turned back upon the shamers. He he reversed it. And what he said was, you who would be shaming me and humiliating me, what's actually occurring in what I'm doing is I'm putting the shame back on you. And what I'm demonstrating is that all of these things that are occurring to me now become the common experience of all of God's people. (laughs) You're not separating me. You're not shaming me and making me alone. You are instead showing that I am part of all of God's people who have experienced this thing. You're the ones who are the outliers. (laughs) You're the ones who are separating yourself from the people of God by doing this. So he turned shame completely on its head. Jesus certainly did triumph over sin by paying the ultimate penalty Uh, for sin on the cross, God certainly did carry sin with him to the cross and did away with it. But make sure that you recognize that on the cross, Jesus triumphed over shame as well. He carried shame with him to the cross. And in so doing, he now welcomes all of us who have suffered under it. So, in both cases, in guilt and in shame, there is now a new reality. A reality that says that God does not count our forgiven sin against us. And God does not identify us with the shaming things that we have experienced. We are new creatures entirely. When we stand before the judge one day, the cross of Christ is going to be the thing that dictates what we hear. Here's what we will hear from the judge. Forgiven. Welcomed. Perfect. Clothed in the righteousness of my son. And we'll say, but what about all these things that we remember from our experience. And the answer each time will be nailed to the cross. Nailed to the cross. That is not held against you. These things that have occurred to you and that you have done, these are not the things that dictate how I view you. That's not who you are to me, says the judge. Who you are to me is entirely wrapped up in the person and work of my son. That makes all the difference. All of the difference. I do not want to stand before the judge hoping that my sins and my transgressions are not a big enough deal and that God will just overlook them. That's a pretty low view of a holy God. What I know is that any of my sins and transgressions are infinitely bad (laughs) before a holy God. Thank God those things have been cast away by the cross of Christ. And when I stand before my heavenly father, I don't want to stand with the identity of all the shameful things that I have done and all the things that have been done to me. If my sins have been cast away, why do they define me anymore? They don't. So now if the cross has the final word to say about my sin, the cross also has the final word to say about my identity, my dignity, my value, my worth because of the cross of Christ, we are new creatures entirely. All right. That is objective truth. That is, in the end, eternally what you will experience. What about the time between now and then? What about these days and years that we have left on this earth where we're still working through all this mess? One day, eternally, that's going to be our only awareness. How do we fight right now to make that a present reality in ever-growing degree? And I'm telling you, I believe that's what God, your Heavenly Father, wants for you. He wants for you to have an ever-growing appreciation for not only your forgiveness, but also your new identity, who you are and how he thinks about you. So how does he do it? Well, the cross of Christ has changed our relationship with God entirely. And what we do now is we encounter him in what I'm calling anti-shaming roles. God does a lot of things in Scripture, a lot of ways that Scripture describes um, who God is and what he does. Uh, We see him, uh, among other things, as father, son, spirit, brother, servant, king, priest, judge, warrior, uh, and more and more and more. But what Welch points out in his book is that that three of these roles in particular, he says, clearly express his relational love and his cleansing power. And he points those out as father, husband, and priest. So first, father. Father. You're, you're familiar with with the prodigal son of Luke 15, I'm sure, very famous parable. And in this parable, Jesus wants us to learn many things. Uh, one, he wants to wants us to learn something of the shocking nature of our lack of love and appreciation uh, for for God. So that's that's what we see as the prodigal. Uh, does shocking things uh in in his uh in his dealing with his father before he leaves um just just to think that a son would come and say uh, could i go ahead and have my inheritance um, you know in in other words what the son is saying is hey dad i'd i'd like to i'd like to pretend that you're dead and and i'd like to just have my money, <laughs> as if you're gone. Yikes! Uh, how disrespectful can you get? <laughs> and then to take the blessings of the relationship with his father and run off and squander them in the way that, that he did. That um, well, it says, it says an awful lot of, about the lack of love and appreciation uh, for the father. Uh secondly, Jesus wants us to, to learn something about uh the the ugliness of self justifying judgmentalism. Um so you certainly see that in the older brother who who uh you know who, who stands thinking very, very highly of himself and how he's done everything right and and uh and he he despises the father in many ways by by um, by 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 despising how he treats the younger brother. And so this this older brother certainly is is not a a good picture either. But especially for us today, what Jesus really wants us to see is the extravagant love of the father. We we call this parable the prodigal son. Uh, What we ought to call this parable is the extravagant loving father despite uh, how obnoxious his sons are the extravagant love of the father consider his welcome to the prodigal as he comes home he doesn't just begrudgingly allow the prodigal to return well you, you know you're my son so i guess i'll let you come back and and uh and and be fed and housed, no, he, he celebrates his return and he bestows honor upon the son, the honor of unbridled welcome, a robe, a ring, a party. This is how we need to view our fathers feelings toward us. (laughs) He looks upon the cross and deals with us accordingly. He doesn't bring up our failures and our many disrespects toward him over the years. He doesn't bring up our pigsty smell (laughs) of our ungodly uh, past in our lives. He deals with us as his beloved children He deals with us as washed and welcomed. All right. So part of how we are going to battle against shame is to remember how the Father views us. To regularly immerse ourselves and meditate upon the idea of this is how God the Father views me and how he feels about me. Secondly, husband. Another stark biblical lesson comes to us from Ezekiel 16, uh, describing God as a husband. And in the imagery that God conveys to Ezekiel, Israel is an unfaithful wife, yet God shows himself to be the faithful husband nonetheless. And the lesson for us is striking. We can certainly see Israel as this wife and we can certainly see ourselves in that position. He rescued us from our helpless misery and brought us into his care. And how have we responded? Well. The way that we've responded in so many ways is that we have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us can sit and say that we have done that. All of us can sit and say that we have been unfaithful to Him despite the fact that He has been so merciful uh, toward us. So even though we have not loved Him in that way, He remains faithful to us. He maintains his steadfast love by undoing all that we have done to make ourselves unlovable. It cost Jesus his life on the cross, but for the joy that was set before him. And the joy set before him was that he was securing a spotless bride, us, for whom His promises will never fail. So when we are thinking, how is it that these things that I have done or have been done to me, how can they not affect the way that God views me? And we're overly concerned or informed by the way that people react to us and we project that onto how God responds to us we think of him as the faithful husband that despite the ways that we have been unfaithful and that we have betrayed nevertheless he remains faithful and steadfast and then, thirdly great high priest While we talk about sacrifice that takes away the stain of our sins, God also acts as our great high priest whose sacrifice takes away any and all of our blemishes for any and all of our sins. He continues to be actively making us perfect. In Him, we have the Paschal Lamb, to lay our hands upon who takes away our sin. In him, we have the blood that cleanses us. In him, we find that the curtain is torn into, and the priest is no longer separated from the people. Because he is forever pleading his sacrifice on our behalf, There cannot be any plausible argument for our separation from God. We are welcomed to the banquet of the king. While one day we will enjoy that banquet in his presence, there are ways that we can look and see that we're getting glimpses of that now. And so one of the ways that we will battle against shame is we will look for those ways where God is saying, let me give you a glimpse of what is to come. Every time we sit down together as a church and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's that's the most stark picture that we have. There's a glimpse of a great banquet that is to come where we will sit down with all of God's redeemed people, and we will enjoy that time with him. There won't be any distraction, there won't be any interruption, there won't be anything that stands in the way of us us being there to say, wow, wow. So we look for every moment where we say, this is God speaking to me that I'm welcomed, that I'm on the way to some place that is going to be incredible. And I'm getting glimpses of it now. So father, husband, great high priest, and all of these things, he's speaking to us something different than worthless, disgraced, alone, separated. He's speaking to us a definitive word of inclusion and welcome. So when shame comes upon us in any of its forms, and we certainly are going to face that for the rest of our days, we need to battle against it. We need to take our thoughts captive against that. We need to ask ourselves, here's what my feelings are saying, here's what people are saying, here's what the world is saying, here's what that chirping little voice the devil is saying to me. Does that agree with what God says? These things that I'm hearing and feeling, do they agree with what God says is true? That's what taking our thoughts captive means. That, that little little verse from, from 1 Corinthians that, that talks about taking our, our thoughts captive, that does not mean don't have bad thoughts. <laughs> that does not mean don't have bad feelings. What that means is when those things come and they will, ask yourself, do these things that I think or feel, do they agree with what God says is true? And so when shame comes, am I going to embrace what it says? Or am I going to think, I have a father. I have a husband. I have a great high priest who says these things about me. Our identity is now found in the cross of christ as beloved child of god our identity is no longer shamed or disgraced we are joined to a multitude who has this in common the cross and when we're tempted to feel worthless that cross tells us that the son of god found rescuing you worth his very own life and he wants something so much better for you than to be burdened and discouraged by this idea of shame. Amen? Amen. I would love to field any questions that you have. We have a couple minutes before we need to go. If any any questions uh, that you have at all I'd be happy to address them. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, I think this is a tremendously important topic. I think it's something that uh, as we dig into and give consideration to, uh, the cross promises for us uh, something amazing. And, uh, and I believe God wants us to enjoy that very thing. So uh, see you in there for, for worship. And we will celebrate this God who speaks a better word to us. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.